Hello, and welcome back to the Legends Podcast with me, Sarah Faruya of SF Creative and Sarah Faruya Coaching, where I am rising like a phoenix from the ashes after a one-year break to season seven, where our theme is legends of reinvention, stories of renaissance, and the phoenix rising from the fire. I believe there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories. So let's get into these creative musings from Sarah and her guests. Enjoy. Hello there and welcome to this season seven, episode seven of the Legends podcast. This is the creative musings section. So please do remember that this episode is my own creative musings. I made my links where it's just my own imagination creating links where they are. I, I tend to have great pattern recognition. So just a good reminder here that this is my own creative musings. Thank you very much for the name, Laura Marushima. Amazing. And um that I may cite some psychology and I will cite the sources where, where I can, but mostly it's storytelling from me, connecting it back to psychology and coaching content. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I want to tell stories in a way that might be useful coaching wise or might be of interest or um, maybe just some pattern recognition between things. And today I've just been for a gorgeous walk. It's late November here in Japan. I'm in Zushi where I, I live and um, I've been for a lovely walk along the beach. Last week, I hardly left the house at all, <laughs> hardly at all. And I noticed that my legs were starting to hurt, actually hurt from not leaving the house. Also, I twisted my knee, I popped my knee out of its socket a little bit, uh, just just on the corner of a mat in the bathroom. And yeah, that wasn't the best. So um, it started to get a little bit inflamed. And then the other knee starts playing up because of the, what do you call it? The um, compensation that's happening there, but it's fine. So season seven, episode seven, lucky seven. So I'm talking today about really lucky things. and. I think I'm just so lucky. I've been so lucky to have come across people, really incredible people in my life who have recognized and given me unconditional love. And that's what I want to talk about today is three main occasions, but a couple of other ones where people in my life have shown me such unbelievable, non-transactional, unconditional love that gave me confidence and humility and left me feeling really, really um, beautifully loved, taken care of, looked after inside, but so much so that I came home to myself and felt incredible peace. And that's basically my wish for the future is that 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 feeling becomes my norm because I do believe for some people it is their norm. So there's about six stories altogether, but I'm going to start in my childhood with uh, three stories from when I was much younger and then three stories from Japan where friends and um, my husband have surprised me 
and given me pause for thoughts that made me feel incredibly loved. And from there, what peace and creativity, confidence, humility, and really true sense of myself came from. And I'm going to relate that back to some psychological stuff. And also I'm just going to muse because as I do these, as I muse on these things, other things come up. So let's do this. Okay. So the first one is when I was at school, the primary school, I can clearly remember it. You know, I would get picked on a bit. Now, let me be really clear here. I got picked on. I got bullied. I got all the, all those good things. Um, but it's not my main feature from my childhood. It's not, well, it is a big feature, but it's not the main feature. Like I still had a good time at school. I was clever. I was bright. I was popular with some of the teachers. I was good at sports and all that kind of stuff, which probably uh, made for some of that, some of that, like being picked on and being bullied and so on. So I was very tall. I had ginger hair. Um, I was clever. I was um, confident and unusual and um my best guess is undiagnosed ADHD back then as well um and just very kind of big presence big body big presence very skinny though and so and and my parents were teachers and I went to a state school which meant I got kind of picked on for that because I talked a bit different and neither my mum nor dad were from Liverpool so it was just a very you know, I just, my accent was just from teachers. So I, I didn't kind of, I wouldn't say I, I didn't fit in, but I didn't feel terribly that I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in. And I also was okay. So I want to be really clear about that. I really had a good time at primary school and stuff. Um, it was fine. You know, um, I, I, I was fine. So let me be really clear about that. And also not fine. It was also tricky. And I also, you know, had to uh, learn how to mask. I also had to learn how to kind of code switch in and out of like life at home and life at school and life between all the different places that I existed. And that was that was hard. And, you know, it made me kind of nervous and defensive a lot, I think. And I might talk about that a bit later, but there was this girl called Andrea, who was maybe two years ahead of me. She was cool. She was quite tough. She was really outspoken. She's not somebody you'd want to cross. And I can remember one day that uh, some of my, you know, frenemies at school or friends at school were having a go at me or were picking on me. And this girl, Andrea, came in, two years older than me, stepped in and stuck up for me. And I never really expected that. I did not expect that. In fact, it might have been somebody in her year. It might have been somebody's sister. I don't remember the details. I just remember her. I just remember this person coming, sticking up for me, standing up for me, telling the other people to get lost and leave me alone. And then kind of hanging with me to make sure that I was okay. Oh, wow. I'm getting that warm feeling in my chest right now on my body compass that makes me feel really safe and grateful and happy. And I've been feeling like that a little bit recently. Um, we had friends here this weekend and we met up with other friends and I've just been having such a lovely time with the people I really, really love recently. And I feel this really strong sense of, of, of warmth and safety with them. And I can also tell when that 
doesn't feel right as well. I've also aligned with my husband around that and what my expectations are at home for creating that warmth and safety at home as well. So, um, you know, that was, it was such a humbling and lovely experience for me at the time. I can remember thinking like, why is she doing this? What's the, what's the payoff? But there wasn't one, there wasn't any payoff. She just kind of tended to me and, um, really, really had a, an enormous impact in my life. So much so that now like 40 plus years later, 40 plus years later, I'd say almost 50 years later, I was probably seven or eight that I remember her name, her actual name. And I can vaguely remember her features, vaguely remember her features. Um, and that kind of unconditional safe love is, is really important. I was with the kids this weekend and, you know, I'm hoping that me and Keisuke have provided that kind of environment for them, for our like not nieces and nephews. And I feel like there is because they, they have tantrums around us and they, they really seem to love being around us. And I hope, so I really hope that he and I create that kind of sense of safety and that we've got their backs and that we're not just constantly going on at them. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stop this. Stop that. But we will if need be. But I was thinking about that, you know, when, when uh, the baby was leaving our house, she's not a baby anymore. She's six. She was like crying her eyes. I don't want to stay another night. I want to stay another night. And that made me feel so, um honored really honored to to feel like oh you know she feels so safe and so happy in our house and around us that she, she wants to be with us longer and I don't say that in a kind of needy way or anything like that it just feels very um very nice and very safe and very calm that we are creating these kinds of environments together and co-regulating as I talked about in one of the other podcasts and you can hear about that on Deanne's podcast which is episode six the second one so thanks to Andrea in the ether wherever you are I have no idea I don't know remember your surname anything like that um but thanks to her and for you if you have ever stood up for somebody and got their back in a situation especially if it wasn't like the popular thing to do um then you know that is just so cool. Well done. You know, you just don't know the impact that you're going to have on somebody when you do something like that. And there was no, um, you know, I didn't become a bitch at school or anything like that. <laughs> she wasn't like the bulldogger of school or anything like that. <laughs> no, she was, she, I, I just remember feeling so safe and well cared for and I hadn't really felt that feeling, I think, because I was very tall and I was expected to be quite independent at home and at school that and, um, you know, I wasn't cute. I wasn't a kawaii child at all um, because I was quite verbal and um, I grew, you know, I was quite clever from a young age. People say precocious. They kind of spit that word out as as an insult towards child, which makes me feeling very uncomfortable. Actually, the opposite. I feel the opposite of safety and unconditional love and humility and confidence when I think of that word being spat out at children who are, you know, um, treated as older than they are. But um, yeah, it was she she tended to me in a way that was 
appropriate and proportional to my age and development. And she must have seen something, how wise this woman was when I was young. It would be absolutely incredible if by some force of magical nature, she got to hear this podcast and know what an incredible impact she had on somebody who needed to feel what that felt like at that time. Wow please make it so. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Okay. The second time was, it could have been around the same time or it could have been a bit earlier in a very similar situation was, um, my mom was a teacher. My mom and dad both worked full time. They were incredibly amazing work ethic. Both of them really bright people who were both teachers. And I, um, sometimes if I was sick or if I had an off day, cause I went to a Catholic school, we would often have off days. Like they were called, I think, holy days of obligation, <laughs> a holy day of obligation. <laughs> and, um, but my mum worked in an Anglican school, um, proddy dog school. And so we, would have different holidays so when we had a holy day of obligation we would go to either if my mum could get like somebody's grandma to come and look after us for the day or one of her mates who didn't work to look after us for the day or a babysitter to look after us for the day although that wasn't such a thing for an all-day thing we had people who picked us up from school and stuff but um they uh, then I would have to go to her school <laughs> So I can remember only one time, actually, that I ended up sitting in the staff room with her and then she had to go off to her lessons and that. And um, I there was a teacher there and she was younger and she was really kind to me and she wasn't like and I just felt very safe around her. I wonder what that was. I don't remember her name. I vaguely remember that she had hair like Barbara Dickin Barbara Dixon, Barbara Dixon, like a bubble perm. Um, or not Kenny G, but like a hair metal band, but better than that. And um, she was just so kind to me. And I felt very safe around her. Not, you know, bearing in mind what I've told you, all those things that I was treated much older than I was. And I was really chatty and really outgoing. And I don't know if that was actually outgoing, but I was just very chatty, very out there, very... Um, precocious yeah people would have called me precocious but she didn't treat me like that she treated me like a young girl who needed somebody to just look after her while her mum was teaching and she was good and kind and fun and nice and I was waiting for her to tell me off because I was always getting told off for one thing and another but um yeah and that again just gave me that really strong feeling of like after a while of just thinking oh I'm all right here I'm all right you know I don't mean like child abusive or anything like that when I say like I didn't feel safe around people I mean psychologically safe um like I wasn't I was always doing something wrong I wasn't really allowed to be myself but I couldn't be anything else I think a lot of kids with ADHD get that depending on what their kind of level of masking is um so yeah what a delight that was okay and then the third time so thanks to her as well I hope that teacher um she was just so kind to me and it always it always made me I always bear that bear that in 
bore, bore that in mind, or I always bear that in mind now when I'm thinking about people, or I did until a certain point, and I'm trying to reconnect back with that because at some point things got very transactional, and at some point, I don't know, I think sometimes somewhere like Tokyo is so weird, and I love to remember this. It's very transactional, and it can be very um, tricky, and it can be very... Um, um, based on what's useful, how useful you are to people, you know, and that that's that. But my interest is really different to that at the moment. My my interest area, my interest area has led me to doing this particular podcast about this particular subject on this particular day in this gorgeous November evening. I'm going to look out of my window now because the sunset's about to start. In about five minutes, the sun will set, which means the clouds will start to um, light up. So that there it is. First two people, thank you for looking after that child. And maybe I can use those to start those two kind of people, those archetypes. And believe you me, neither of those people came off as people pleasers to me. They weren't feeding off me. They weren't um, getting their supply from me. Both of them just saw a little girl who needed to be a bit looked after in a in a weird situation for them. What absolute menches, mensch, is that way the right way to say it? I think it usually refers to a man that, but I'm going to take it for a woman, two women, two, well, the young lady wasn't a woman, she was a girl still, but how very brave and courageous and cool. And, um, oh, that's another word I used to get called bossy, bossy, so bossy, and I probably was quite bossy as well, but still you know, those edges were rounded off quite um, spectacularly. <laughs> and people still try to, people still try to round those edges off. I got called bossy in the last month. Can you, I'm 52 years old. I'm a grown ass woman. I can do whatever I want, but society and culture is constantly trying to round those edges off. And of course I had a good look at myself to see what was, uh, what was the need that was not being met in that person? But yeah, well, okay. All right. So next up is the story of uh, a Christmas. So I was at home for Christmas back in the 90s with my then partner, Simon. And I, my mum gave me a little box. Mum and dad gave me a little box. And I thought it might be a bit of jewellery because I... For, for many years, I have been receiving jewellery, family jewellery for gifts. I, I, You know, even right now, I don't really need anything new. Um, apart from nice pyjamas, maybe. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was delighted that I was getting a, a an heirloom. But when I opened it, and again, this is this is this is going towards more towards the 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 three mainies that I'm going to talk about today was a key and I was a bit confused like sometimes when you get that cognitive dissonance your brain takes a little while to kind of adjust to it and I opened it and I looked it was a key then I noticed that kind of black plastic on the fob which told me that it was a car key and then I I was like, what, what, I, I, I don't understand what? And then the penny dropped and my face like just dropped like, 
oh my god this is the key to the it was a white mini metro <laughs> my mum and dad's old white mini metro and they decided to upgrade their second car i think and oh i, I think they were upgrading their main car and decided to use their other car as the second car something like that um they needed two cars because my dad worked like 30 miles away and so he had to drive to school every morning and then my mum also had to drive to school because teachers have to carry unbelievable amounts of books back then they did anyway like my mum would be carrying like a hundred books so you need a car to carry the books to and from school unless you're savvy and you do all your work at school anyway that's what my mum did she was an English teacher so there was loads of big fat books so um yeah so they decided rather than selling on the car that they would just give it to me just give me the old car and I was absolutely stunned like stunned and again there was this um and I'll talk about this later it, it's this kind of there's this cognitive dissonance like what's going on and then when the penny drops of what's going on when you suddenly realized when you get that like moment of satori that moment of enlightenment when you're like oh this is what's going on and I I was I got flooded with um the, the feeling of generosity, but it comes from the inside. So it's not an outside thing, like looking for external validation. It's almost like a recognition and a validation and such generosity and such unconditional love and such giving and such care and attention for a person that it actually kind of awakens for me. It seems to awaken this wellspring of humility and confidence and unconditional love that just... I didn't really have access to. I felt very loved by my partner and I have been very loved in the past. And but it it opened up this channel, this wellspring. I've been trying to write about this. Like there is an essay waiting to happen for years about this because I was so struck by that incredible feeling of just it's like everything else falls away. Every piece of um, insecurity, resentment, sadness, feeling like you're not good enough, that you're unloved, conflict, um, bullshit, um, all of it just falls away and leaves behind this feeling of peace, surprise, and hum just, I, I think it's the most, for me, it feels like the most Deep, the deepest humility I could possibly feel. Just like, wow, I can't believe this. Because to me, being given a car was huge. And it was very pure. Like, I I didn't, this isn't always the case with families, with parents, that they're not always just doing something for you that doesn't expect some kind of return. But there was something really, really gracious and really humble in the giving of this as well. I could feel it. I could feel being loved through this gift in a really, really unattached way, in a really, um, in a really beautiful way. It was really kind of disruptive in a way. It was, it was so, it was such a, an act of generosity and kindness. Um, yeah, just an incredible act of generosity and kindness. And um, how lucky was I for that? And it was very confusing in that moment, like, wow, 
Wow. And, you know, I could see that they were delighted to have given it to us as well. Um, and, and that, you know, and, and I wondered if that, that kind of peace and security was the way that people with like really secure attachment styles feel. I started to wonder that recently. It's like, ah, cause I'm working with people who are, um, when I'm working with coach, when I'm coaching people, and so oftentimes people are annoyed with other people. I will ask them what kind of attachment style. I will do a small education piece on attachment styles and how they um, think the person who's annoying them, what kind of attachment style they may have, and also what kind of attachment style they think they have. Because for people with secure attachment styles, they um, often have something in common, which is that their parents were really secure in their own lives and their parents were incredibly loving and encouraging towards them. Um, and in a, in a, in a very functional, very kind way, in a way that wasn't, um, didn't make the, the, the child responsible for them in some way or responsible for their feelings. That's my take on this anyway. I'll maybe say a little bit more about that. Actually, maybe I'll say a little bit about it now. So attachment styles, this is a, a really interesting area for me. So attachment style theory was founded by the psychoanalyst John Bowlby in the 1950s and then expanded on by Mary Ainsworth. This is really interesting stuff, right? So for me, again, remember this is creative musings and I am not an expert in this. What I do use it for is to create uh, compassion, understanding in the emotional fields of my coaching clients. Excuse me, the sky is absolutely incredible out there. Wow. What a quantum flirt that is. <laughs> um, so then, um, yeah. And so just remember, this is my creative musings and I'm making this pattern recognition. I'm creating this pattern recognition because I recognized the times when I have felt secure attachment are the times when I have felt that unconditional, generous love. The times when I feel um, secure in my relationships with people and I feel secure attachment is when I'm with people who have been securely loved and uh, have very, very tight relationships with their parents. Not tight, not weirdly tight, but what I mean is like that they, you know, they were their biggest fans and unconditionally, and they don't really understand what it feels like to um, have parents who uh, derail you to some degree. So, or, you know, backgrounds or whatever it is. I'm talking about me in peacetime here, remember, as well. Like, this is... Um, you know, being being a child of my time and um, these kind of attachment styles. I'm going to just give a little bit more input on this right now. I would go away and have a good research from some kind of um, well-researched uh, background place. Like, so I'm looking at Psych Central here. Okay. This is from the psychcentral.com and it's the four attachment styles I'm looking at here. I would not learn it from some YouTuber who's kind of shouting at you about uh, avoiding people with non-secure attachment styles or something like that. That is utter bullshit. And also remember that I am flagging to you here that I am doing this as part of creative musings. So I am humbling myself to the fact that I am not an expert in this and I'm not trying to sell you anything through this. 
Okay, so the theory states that the primary goal of a human infant is to maintain proximity to its caregiver, which was necessary for survival during our evolution. Bowlby believed that because of this evolution, infants and toddlers were monitoring their parents to see what strategies would allow them to stay close. There's some really interesting videos about this. And again, remember that this is coming from the kind of uh, predominantly white European um, uh, psychotherapeutic background. Oftentimes, these are rooted in more indigenous practices as well. And I'm always interested in the the intersection between those two things but I really don't feel I have the wherewithal or the background to really really um speak to that in any amazing way wowie outside is amazing the sky is just oh gorgeous okay so the four kinds four types of attachment styles are secure second is avoidant also known as dismissive or anxious avoidant. Um, anxious, number three is anxious, which is preoccupied or anxious ambivalent in children. And the last one, fourth one is uh, disorganized, which is uh, fearful avoidant in children. So this is really interesting to me because I don't know, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know my attachment style. I haven't done any kind of um, questionnaire or been assessed around my attachment styles. I think a lot of my attachment style is secure, um, but not all the time and not uh, completely. And I know that, and I'm also kind of a, a year and a bit into sobriety, so I'm kind of relearning myself now. And I feel like I'm starting to learn what helps me to have secure attachments and ask for it. And also to it's made me kind of avoid people uh, or pull away when I, I think from a secure attachment style, I can be like, oh, oh, I don't like that. And then deliver that to somebody. Um, like if I've ever said to you something like, I didn't like it when you did this um, and I want more safety around me, then that tells me that I think you can handle it and that I will be able to ha have some kind of relationship negotiation with you. Um, whether you take it or leave it is up to you. Um, if I haven't spoken to you about it, then I'm like, oh, staying out of dodge, maybe. <laughs> That's a bit mean, isn't it? I'm going to pause recording because I've just got to go and have a look at this sunset. So back in a sec. That was worth it. It's beautiful pink clouds out there. Um, that's one of the things that fulfill, that fills me up. All right. So this is, I mean, these, these musings are very, very me, me, me. But it to me, it combines storytelling, which I love doing. And I wish that I could sit down and write. But it just takes a different kind of part of my brain. Then I would write, then I would edit, then I would, you know, and I have recorded these musings and then deleted them and re-recorded them in the past, but I'm not going to do that with today's. And um, I really love writing, but it just takes a, it just takes a different part of my brain to do this, to give voice to uh, my musings through this than it does to sit down and write and maybe that will happen in the future but right now this is where I'm at so imagine this is a blog post <laughs> and that's why I also love to do interviews with people as well because I want to have people's stories out there in play as well okay so um, we were talking about attachment styles 
Um, and I want to start off with, uh, yeah, so secure attachment. So blah, 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 signs of a secure attachment. So these are really interesting. So, but these for me come from the inside. And this is what I'm talking about with these incidences that happened for me was I felt, oh, this is what secure attachment feels like. Just a very a strong confidence, a strong sense of myself, a strong humility. And by humility, I don't mean people who are modest. I mean that no matter where you are on a scale of like attachments, of of like out there-ness or self-consciousness that uh, you feel okay. I actually forgot what I was saying halfway through a sentence there. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely no idea. Um, no, none. Okay. So signs of a secure attachment style include the ability to regulate your emotions, hmm. easily trusting others, hmm. effective communication skills, the ability, the ability, the ability to seek emotional support, comfortable being alone, comfortable in close relationships, ability to self-reflect in partnerships, being easy to connect with, ability to manage conflict well, high self-esteem and ability to be emotionally available. And I'm going to, I'm going to hazard that. So I'm going to, first of all, make this, this is a really nice list of things to, to, to feel from the inside. And that's on these occasions when I've had these, these amazing, humbling experiences. Um, so that's what I was saying. Being humble for me means that you are absolutely confident and absolutely um, like your ego isn't really present or it's present in the most healthy way possible. Um, the idea that nobody has ego is one of uh, utter bullshit. Yes, of course, there are a handful of people who went off like the Buddha and whoever and Jesus who, you know, but they always had massive gangs supporting them and feeding them and washing their feet. And somebody else was looking at the kids at home and what have you. I mean, seriously who's who's doing that in this day and age a few people i'm sure so signs of a secure attachment so i would say that there's some of those that i really connect with and some that i don't however that these humbling experiences that i'm describing to you allowed me to connect with those which makes me understand just how important it is to feel that sense of to develop those senses as as you are so that it says also says on psych central and um, securely attached people grow up feeling securely secure emotionally and physically and can engage in the world with others in a healthy way um i've, I've generally felt quite physically secure as to some degree but maybe that's because of my size and because of my face not being super kawaii i really don't think there's one should underestimate how somebody's physical presentation influences them. All right. Um, there we go. So what's an avoidant attachment style? So um, avoidant, dismissive avoidant and anxious avoidant are all words for the same insecure attachment style. Um, the signs, and when it develops because your care, caregivers in infanthood may have left you to fend for yourself, expected you to be independent, reprimanded them, reprimanded you for depending on them, rejected you when expressing your needs or emotions and been slow to respond to your basic needs. 
Um, signs are persistently avoid emotional or physical intimacy, feel a strong sense of independence, are uncomfortable expressing feelings, are dismissive of others, have a hard time trusting people, feel threatened by anyone who tries to get close, spend more time alone than interacting with others and believe they don't need others in their lives. It says here in, in, in inverted commas, commitment issues. Yeah, I'm so glad that they've done that. They've actually linked to it on Psych Central here because, you know, it's in it's kind of Oprah 95, isn't it? Like people have commitment issues. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not enough. It's too buzzwordy. I like the simplicity of language here. And it can be like the need for emotional intimacy is simply lacking in this type of individual. So romantic relationships are not able to reach any level of depth. God, that sounds horrible. <laughs> or, or not, you know, maybe that's just enough for, for people. So anywho. Let's move on to the next one. The anxious attachment style, fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, depending on a partner for validation and emotional regulation. Um, and the development for this is children have difficulty understanding their caregivers and have no security for what to expect from them moving forward. They're often confused within their parental relationships and feel unstable. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, Children with this attachment style experience very high distress when their caregivers leave. Sometimes the parents will be supportive and responsive to the child's needs, while at others, they will not be attuned to their children. Huh. Okay. Again, please remember the background that this comes from. And it was developed in the 50s. So it's a very recent kind of, um, a, a, a recent modality. Interesting, useful, because this is the time and the place that I come from. And maybe you do too. So uh, let's see how it, how, how it uh, manifests. Uh, anxious attachment style include clingy tendencies, highly sensitive to criticism, hmm, needing for approval from others. Okay, so this is the difference between what I'm talking about, the kind of feeling approved by these people who looked after me and cared for me so, so, so beautifully and made me feel so safe. That kind of approval and validation can be quite healthy, I think. But if it's been absent when you're a child, um, you may be seeking it. But I was never seeking it to me. It felt like it kind of came home to roost during those times. And right now, as I, okay, self-coaching moment, ping, is I'm going to use the memory of these experiences while I am well to, um, when I say well, I mean emotionally really on a, I'm able to uh, absorb it. I'm going to use the memory of these experiences to um, build that muscle of uh, validation and approval from inside. Um, jealous tendencies, ooh, difficulty being alone, low self-esteem, feeling unworthy of love, intense fear of rejection, significant fear of abandonment and difficulty trusting others. This is really interesting. I'm quite interested to maybe get an assessment on this and have a, a few therapy sessions with either a coach or a therapist, maybe a coach who's a therapist, maybe my coach, Grace, <laughs> who uh, is both a therapist and a coach could take me through this. Oh, I don't feel like therapy at the moment though. Okay, so how it manifests in relationships. They often blame themselves for challenges in relationships and can exhibit frequent and intense jealousy or distrust due to poor self-esteem. Oh, 
So you can see why when a, somebody with secure attachment is getting judgy over somebody who's got a different attachment style, I might flag as coach, I might flag that to them so that we can get some more kind of empathy, compassion, understanding in the emotional field so that that person can get into right relationship with the other person. So the other person's not trying to have a securely attached experience with this person, but can hold true to their own boundaries, which oftentimes a securely attached person will be okay with. That's actually not very true. Like, so again, this is my creative musings, please bear with me while I self-coach. Um, but also, um, you know, hold true to their own attachment style, but also create, yeah, like empathy, compassion, and um, not uh, codependent, but interdependent kind of, and th there's a difference between those two things. So interdependent understands the need of the other person and codependent what one you feeding off each other's uh uh dysfunction somehow and supporting it and it's not it's not healthy it feels really unhealthy so um and i had this has been used quite i, I i'd be i'd be i'd be really um i use this with securely attached people because the stakes are quite low in their psychological world. Again, touch wood. It doesn't mean that I can just say what I want or do what I want with these people, but it just means that they can be more receptive to the idea that that other person may not have the same nervous system development as they have had. Um, and it's a real, you know, I have a, a, a very smart friend who says, you know, she and her sister talk to each other about their background and are like, this is rare, you know, not, not a lot of people got the kind of incredible, supportive background from their parents as we did. Like, you wouldn't believe it, like the, the amount of encouragement, the yes andness about their parents. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I really love that admission. I really love that admission from them because it helps me to help my clients and myself to understand like, Oh, okay. And I'm not going to just seek out people with secure attachments. What I mean is that I can understand not to plug into people's other attachment styles with mine. And like I said, I don't even know what mine is. I might do an online quiz after this. <laughs> and um, and just uh, and see, you know, how how it can all meld together and how I can, without trying to be a rescuer, or without getting codependent, just really honor another person's, for example, lack of self-esteem or, or blaming of themselves and so on. And just be really mindful of that in my emotional field and in our third entity. And just get into what we'd say in systems coaching. It might help me to get into right relationship with people. All right. Or my coaching clients to get into right relationship with just a little bit more light shone on the other person. And then finally, there's this thing called disorganized attachment style. So anxious disorganized attachment is defined as having extremely inconsistent behavior and difficulty trusting others. OK, so how it develops, the most common causes of a disorganized attachment style are childhood trauma, neglect or abuse. And again, they've linked through to childhood trauma here because 
it, it, there's so many different ways the trauma presents and what it is. It doesn't have to be something like as serious as being having the shit beaten out of you every day. And if that was you, I am so sorry. That is completely out of order. Um, there's something called complex CPTSD. So complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is when there's a constant feed of inconsistence or meanness or criticism or whatever it is, or inconsistency, which creates a kind of trauma scar, not as big as one, not what, what do I mean? Like not as obvious as if you got shot and then you've obviously got a, a trauma, like a wound there. Um, or um, PTSD originally came from World War One called shell shock where it's very clear and obvious that you know if you're in a war and then you react badly to a loud noise that that is post-traumatic stress disorder or as they used to call it shell shock um now um for something like cptsd complex post-traumatic stress disorder that's when something occurred over and over again so it might be um like uh um if you have something uh, uh, hitting you all the time over and over again, that you will eventually develop some, or if you've got like, like, so if I go to my knees, so I've got one bad knee, right? But then little by little, my other knee is starting to dis deteriorate because it's compensating for that knee. Or this knee injury started in my ankle because I hurt my ankle and then that had an impact on my knee 10 years later. So something like that. I think, again, this is my creative musings and I am pinballing around all over the psychological map here in a rather unskilled way. But it, I hope I to bring some curiosity and interest to you through this psychotherapy uh, musing. OK, so we are at disorganized attachment style. The signs of disorganized attachment style include a fear of rejection, inability to regulate emotions contradictory behaviors level high levels of anxiety difficulty trusting others and signs of both avoidant and anxious attachment styles so those other two there and oh this is interesting and jordan notes that this type of is also associated with mental health conditions in adulthood including mood disorders personality disorders self-harm and substance abuse and substance use disorder wow okay um, so that's really good to know. And uh, I I want to like shine a light on it. And, and personally, my goal is to strengthen my own personal attachment style inside myself, not in a kind of wellnessy, rah, rah, rah kind of way, like, a, you know, I'm self-sabotaging or you everything you need is inside you but in a very pragmatic way because I want to experience the world in the second half of my life in a in a in in a more uh in a, in a lovely lovely way I want to experience it in a peaceful way in a on the inside of me what's happening outside is is one is one thing but if I can start to strengthen my resolve around a secure attachment style and look for the breadcrumbs where it already exists you know I have experienced great love in my life I've experienced great generosity in my life I've experienced you know when I was young I never wanted for anything all my kind of lower Maslow's things were taken care of 
in abundance. Let me say that. So, um, you know, I was never hungry unless I was hungry. <laughs> and, you know, we lived in nice houses that were decorated nicely. And I was always well fed and uh, we had nice holidays. You know, there's there's a lot for me to build on. And I'm still in touch with my all my family and we still all look out for each other and care for each other. So that's there's a great foundation there. And all the other things can be looked after with coaching and therapy. And, um, you know, substance use, that's all I've taken care of that. So it, there's 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 an awful lot to to be looked after here. And when I'm telling these stories, please, they're very indulgent and I'm I'm aware of that. And I, I try not to make them too indulgent. But when I say me, what I really, my highest dream, but it's not my intention, actually. My highest dream would be that you recognize what I'm talking about in somebody else or in yourself and find some kind of comfort in it or find some kind of resolve in it or find some kind of, um, uh, how can I say, resolve kindness comfort some kind of resolution or some just some just some knowledge or just understanding things a bit more or or finding out more of what's outside the bell curve in terms of behavior for people what might be happening and what might be going on for them um so in relationships people with disorganized attachment styles tend to have an unpredictable and confusing behavior jordan says they alternate between being aloof and independent and being clingy and emotional oh gosh just such compassion for this uh, attachment style there's an awful lot of stuff going on in there helps me to understand the people around me as well um you know, my dad once told me that his parents sat him down one day in their living room. He was the first person in their whole family to ever go to university and just told him how, how proud that we're so proud of you. We're so proud of you, son. Imagine that. Isn't that nice? Some parents just sit down and say genuinely for no gain for themselves, just I'm so proud of you. And let him not, not even not not saying we've done a good job, haven't we? Who made a joke about that, or it probably comes from my side of the family, or something like that. But they just completely pour this unconditional generosity, support, and recognition into a person. That means that that takes some kind of root. That means that they don't have to find it from outside themselves. Perhaps again, I'm musing, musing away. Can you imagine this? I've been doing this since I was about five years old in my own head. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, I ended up studying psychology and biology, right? Human psychology and human biology. All right. So I related this to attachment styles. So now I want to talk to you about the other beautiful things that happened to me. And I'll try and keep these stories as brief as possible. So the first one is in Tokyo. And, uh, this is just such a lovely thing that happened to me. So I had a friend and I will tell you who the friend is. And I'd been a bit down in the dumps. Every now and then I have these incidences throughout my life. I've been quite emotionally spiky where I was just feeling really down, really low. 
um, I think it was in about 2008 or nine. And it had been somehow this person had picked up on that, on my low vibe. And usually, you know, out in the world, I was just this very vibrant, colorful, um, generous, high mood person who had a lot to offer and was, you know, always present and always out in the world and very generous with my energy, generous with my words. And, um, but I must have posted something on Facebook in the early days about like just feeling a bit down in the mouth or not feeling great. Uh, maybe I'd had a conversation with a person. I think it was before messaging was really a big thing. But um, anyway, I met with this friend and I had something for them. I can't remember what it was. They they photographed my wedding and she said, why don't we go for coffee? Um, let's go for coffee. And she said, I think you sound a little bit down in the dumps. And I said, oh, I, I do feel a little bit down in the dumps. And I said, I told them that I'd been feeling a bit down in the dumps. They said, okay. And then we went and we met in Harajuku and we went for croissants and coffee. And then I remember we walked up to a festival that was happening near Yoyogi Park in central Tokyo. And they were selling like she was talking about tahini and she wanted to make hummus. So I bought her a jar of tahini because she said it was too expensive. So I just bought her a jar uh, sneakily and then gave it to her later. And when, then we walked, she said, let's go to Yogi Park. And I said, yeah, because I love that park. It's the big park in the center of um and it's a big park in the center of Tokyo, very famous. We've spent many a wonderful afternoon there. And when we got into the park, I suddenly saw all these people running towards me. And I just again, it was a bit like seeing the car key in the in the in the box. And I saw all these people running towards me. And I could hear people shouting, Auntie Sarah. And I looked at Martine and she was smiling at me. And then I realized it was all my closest friends. And she had got in touch with all my closest friends, April, Rachel, Tom, Hiroshi, and said to them, Sarah's really down in the dumps. We need to cheer her up. Meet me in the park at this time. And they all were running at me and shouting, I love you. We love you. And in that moment, it's like, things fell out of my body. It was like being exercised. Maybe the Catholics were onto something with this, but, um, it, it was, it was an, inc I feel so emotional thinking about this, but because it was, it was such an incredible experience that I cannot, it was a life shifting experience. I was speechless. I was so humbled. I was humbled into wordlessness and I felt utterly surprised and utterly loved and completely just agog and I will never forget it Martine Cotton she's one of the previous um, guests on the podcast and she's really incredible person she didn't expect anything from me she did get a jar of uh, tahini out of 
<laughs> but that but that was just already in play there was already this energetic exchange between us i will never if you are listening to this martin i will never forget that moment and when i plug into it it makes me feel so loved and then when we went to the place where we were having the picnic they had they had the kids had made me things they put bunting up they had made signs saying we love you auntie sarah can you imagine like I was just feeling a bit down in the dumps and a bit low. And this was called in by Martine and my closest friend said, yes, let's do this. And um, it healed something inside me. I, and I think this healing is healing is humbling somehow. It's it's a humbling of something. I don't know how to it's I. I can't really put my finger on it. I feel like I'm crossing an edge here. I'm, I can feel the edge behavior coming up. But when I, I, I need to think about that memory and that beautiful, beautiful thing that was done for me. And, you know, I was able to pay that forward later. Uh, my friend, uh, 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 my friend, my God, what her name's gone now. I just can't believe it. Sukioka acupuncture. Anyway, Kumi, my friend Kumi. And I paid it forward to our friend Laurie and did a big surprise party to celebrate her MBE. Unfortunately, I couldn't go in the end because I was very sick, but uh, we paid it forward for her. And I hope she felt the same kind of care and attention and love that I felt that day. Another occasion was... I used to run, I used to be the president of an organization here called Few for Empowering Women, FEW. It was a, an organization that I felt an enormous affinity with and just a lot of loyalty to. And I was the president from 2001 to 2013. And it was just after the uh, financial crash. It was just after the triple disaster here, the Great Hanshin earthquake, followed by the uh, tsunami and nuclear disaster here in Japan. And as a result, loads and loads of people had left Japan, loads and loads of who was our market in FEW. It was basically for English speaking international women in Japan, either Japanese or non-Japanese, but a terrific amount of our um, and a, a terrific amount of our people were. Our, our members were uh, English English speakers from overseas. And you know what happened there? Just loads of people left, loads of expats left, loads of companies had left, less money for expats. They had less money to sponsor memberships to places um, and people and and people were losing jobs a lot of the kind of big English schools which were also feeders for that organization for people who wanted more or wanted to move on from that who didn't want to do that as a career or people who did want to do English speak English teaching as a career found ways to connect with people through that organization as well and um it, the organization was on its knees and we were in a situation where we had to decide whether we kept it going or whether we closed it down because we were really like down to very few members as a result of nothing more than external influences. And we decided to set really humble goals between us. I had the most amazing board of directors, including again, a dear friend who became a dear friend at that time, who I already knew 
um, called Sarah Jean Rosito. And she um, was VP with me as the president, vice president with me as president. And we, yeah, we just had this amazing, really wonderful board of directors, very professional, very dedicated, very honest, very reliable. And when it came to me deciding whether I was going to go on to a third term as president, because you were allowed three terms, I decided no, that actually I my job was to bring the organization back up to a viable place, which me and my board of directors did. And then for the maintenance to, for the next stage of its growth and its iteration, I decided actually that it wasn't my job and actually that somebody else should uh, should take over. And I selected a woman, uh, sorry, a person called um, Joy Fajardo and they took over and uh, they did it for two years and did a great job as well and brought a completely different flavor and a completely different angle and diversity into the organization. The just FYI, when you're running a membership organization like that, the membership dictates what happens. Of course, the directors set direction, uh, but at this, but it, it, ultimately the membership will let you know what they want and need and and how to spend their money and use their money. So after two years, I decided to leave. Um, I, do you know what? I'm really proud of that term. I really enjoyed it. I really, it was, there was a lot, it was hard, hard, hard work. It took a lot of my time up and there were real challenges. There were some really challenging people in play um, who I still greatly respect, but um, yeah, I'm super proud of what we did to build that organization back up to where it was, where it was when we left it, given the circumstances and how we kind of regenerated it so proud and and I also just made some of the best relationships there and it also supported me when I quit my job and went for my own business in 2012 so halfway through um the final meeting so we used to have monthly meetings on a Thursday and it was the first Thursday of the month I think and I remember showing up we had a woman called Sarah um, who used to be the marketing manager or something for Toys R Us over here. A really, a really fabulous woman from Hawaii who just did, did the greatest presentation. And then as she finished and we finished and I said, thank you. I, I stood up and I wanted to say thank you to all the board of directors for what they'd done. And I had like posies of flowers for all the people who were moving on. A couple of people stayed on on the board of directors, but actually a huge chunk of the people moved, decided to move on and, and stepped down at the same time as me. And then suddenly all these people flooded the room, entered the room. I was like, what is going on? And Sarah Jean had got a lot of her acting friends, a group of her acting friends to come in and do this incredible performance. And, and somewhere I've still got the, the words. There was this song called The Cups Song. Do you remember it? I, don't, I didn't even know about it. You take all these cups and the cups provide the percussion and you sing this song. And they changed all the words to the song to be Thank You, Sarah. And Sarah and Sarah Jean 
and she had called this in, asked her friends to do something, kind, some kind of performance to say thank you. And those people had also sneaked in um, a thank you to Sarah Jean as well. And again, I was just dumbfounded to the point where I couldn't even, like, I didn't get emotional because I was just so humbled in that moment. To my way of thinking, I wanted to say good thank you to all my board of directors. Thank you to the members. Thank you to the people who've shown up. Thank you to the, like, I, I really was in service of that organization and so grateful to the speakers. But then when that happened, I was so, so hum like properly humbled. You know, when people get their Oscars and they say they're so, they just feel so humbled by it. I can understand that now. Like when you see people are really, truly like, oh, wow. Oh, oh, wow. Like it's beyond validation. It's beyond external, uh, you know, validation. It's beyond that kind of need, need for um, recognition because we do need recognition but if you have it inherently when it comes at you like that i mean these are very very kind of event these are events that i'm describing here but it's like it's so great for somebody like me to have these events in my mind to help me to really lean into my secure attachment style because it, it feels so good and it gives such confidence and humility. And people might, you might be thinking, well, what, what does humility have to do with confidence? I think confi confidence without humility can be a little narcissistic. Confidence with humility means you'll go for anything. For me, confidence just means doing things. The feeling of confidence may come from that. It may come before, it may come after. Sometimes I need to feel confident enough to do something. Sometimes I gain confidence from doing it internally. But essentially, you've got to do it anyway. It's like optimism is just taking steps towards something that you feel you can complete, that you believe in and feel you can complete. Confidence for me is just doing things, just do things. And oftentimes I don't have confidence and I choose not to do things. Um, but humility to me means that your ego doesn't require something before you do something. So being very humble. Modesty is something different. Modesty is doing something in order to conform to something so that you don't upset the things around you. And there's a place for that for sure. Um, blind confidence without anything else can be very narcissistic, I think. But again, I'm happy to be called out on that one. But these examples that I'm talking to you, that like... Oh, God, you know, that it was like a flash mob of people coming in and singing this song. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah Jean was the, the, the song and they were doing these cups and I had no idea about it. None. And it was so, so humbling. And I thought I did it. I'm so happy. I did a good job. And also, wow, who are these people? Coincidentally, they're both childless people. And so maybe some, of no, but maybe some, I was going to say maybe some of their mothering instincts were poured into this, but actually it's just, there's no correlation doesn't mean causation, but what, what an absolutely wonderful gift and treasure to give. What, what a treasure. Oh, the cups flash mug and cups flash mob and Martine. What absolute treats. Has anybody ever done anything like that for you? Now, the last one, 
is about my husband and it's about when I left my job and the time I was really into these kind of celebrity coaches, not celebrity coaches like Oprah Winfrey or Tony Robbins or any of that. Um, there was a, another tier behind that, like um, uh, it was Marie, Fa Marie Forleo. Uh, Marie Forleo was a really sweet coach. She was like really into hip hop, really like a big up kind of Italian New Yorker. And I really enjoyed her stuff. It was great launching point for me her, her coaching stuff and the way that she moved through the world and she had a live event back in the day but she stopped it I think because she didn't want to be like going into that kind of guru territory and it was called rich happy and hot live <laughs> and I was like oh god I really want to go to that it was a three-day experience and she'd run it a couple of years prior it was in um what's her name Donna Karen's had a big space down not too far from the meatpacking district uh not a million miles from there in an old massive old warehouse donna karen store next door and then this huge space where they did like you know they events and yoga and stuff like that very stylish very cool very new york it had like a roof garden and all this other stuff it was just brilliant and i just wanted that experience i think it was two thousand pounds to attend two thousand dollars to attend and it was worth it, actually. They had amazing speakers. Um, Donna Karen herself came and closed the day out. There was other kind of celebrity, those kinds of people, some of whom I have a dodgy relationship now who kind of showed themselves to be a bit conspiracy theory-ish and a bit kind of weird wellnessy. And so I'm not going to mention them, but uh, they were good as well. I really enjoyed that speaker. It was of that time for me, 2012. and. Yes, yeah, so it was $2,000 and I got this plan in my head. So I was going to leave my job one day, fly to New York the next, stay with my friend, the makeup artist, also a legend, Neil Young, a really brilliant makeup artist and just such a great story and a master of reinvention as well, as we're talking about. Each of these stories, by the way, reinvented me. They reinvented me. They challenged my status quo. They challenged the stories I have about myself. They challenged my nervous system to calm the fuck down. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I can remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to tell my husband now, the sweet kind of quite conservative Japanese guy who likes safety and security, that I'm going to do this kind of like badass English coachy move, you know, rah, rah, rah move. I'm going to spend 2000. I'm going to, I'm going to remove my own income, go to New York, spend $2,000 on a three day seminar and flights. And then I'm going to go back to England for three weeks where I'll go and hang out with my parents. I don't know what else. I, I was planning to build my website. I didn't even look at it. I just spent time with them and other people. And then like, you know, come back and start building and I just thought, oh, my God. And I thought we would get divorced. And I went to see my coach and I talked to my coach and good at the time. Big shout out to Anne Good, another person who's been unbelievably generous and supportive towards me. And who? OK, going back to the few story when I said to her, oh, what if I, leave? I you know, it's two years. I've got one year left. Where am I going to put all of that leadership energy? Where am I going to put all that leadership energy that I've got this amazing leadership energy that really helps me in my daily life and everything? And she said, put it into your business. 
And I was like, oh, oh, start crying. The relief was palpable. Again, a good coach can do that for you. Thanks and good. Anyway, uh, I'm going to do another one of these musings about people who have made immense changes in my life or have had a massive uh, positive influence in my life. And she is one of them. And so are these people I'm talking about now. So, yeah. Um, so I sat down with my husband. I can remember was, I can remember exactly where I was sitting at the table. And I said, I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to leave my job. And he said, OK. And oh, I'm getting choked up again thinking about it. It's just I just didn't expect it. It just goes to show you how wrong the stories in your head can be sometimes and how to give people the benefit of the doubt or to assume positive intention. Uh, not willy nilly, but anyway. And, and then I said to him, I'm going to leave my job. And he said, okay. And I said, I want to start my own business. He said, okay. And I said, okay. And I also, when I leave my job on this day, mid, mid October, late October, I'm going to fly. I want to go to this conference. I want to fly to New York and go to this conference. It's called Rich, Happy and Hot Live. And he said, OK. Um, and, and it's this woman called Marie Folio. And he said, OK. And he said, how much is it? And I thought, here we go. Here we go. Just like so, so like anxious and wound up and thinking he's going to go off at me. I said, it's two thousand dollars. And he just looked me in the eye and he went. I'll pay for your ticket. And I was like, what? Again, just so confusing. It's like the moment I saw the key or the moment I saw my friends running towards me or that moment that um, uh, I saw all the people coming in the flash mob with the cups. And I just thought, it just dissolves away this awful feelings that you can build up if you don't have a kind of solid trusting foundation and my god I just couldn't believe it the love I felt for him in that moment and the amount that I felt loved and I was crying and he was really happy as well because he got to look after me and be generous towards me and then you know I was just able to really relax into that what how lucky have I been and then recently um, and I will probably do another musing about this, but I have some stuff going on that will happen over Christmas. Just decide whether I'm going to reveal that. Um, is uh, he he just sent me a text saying you're going through a lot. You're going through a lot. And again, that just really helped me. Like, I always expect the worst, I think. Not the worst of people, but the worst towards me goes back to those childhood people who made me feel safe because I kind of didn't expect that. I always expected to be told off or to be downsized or brought down to size or told I was too big for my boots or I had ideas above my station or whatever it is that, you know, when people try and shove you inside the bell curve when you don't belong in there. Um, I All these incidences have been telling me different things you are worthy you are valued you are worthy you are valued and I hope that you can take these stories and recognize some in your own life or create and it has to be done really authentically I think you know Martine authentically did that for me 
Sarah Jean authentically did that for me and for the organisation and her friends authentically added her into it. Um, Casegate authentically said that to me. It was so lovely. And he authentically said that I've been going through a lot recently. I expect to be told to shut up and get on with it and stop being so dramatic and all this kind of, don't be so dramatic, don't be such a drama queen or stop being such a victim or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, I can see where these things come from and I know what safety feels like and I know what that kind of, and I imagine, imagine what it feels like to have secure attachment style. Imagine how it feels to have a secure attachment style. And I already have a lot of that available to me. And so in the second half of my life, my goal is to move further and further towards that and to recognize, you know, all these times when these, I mean, these, these things I'm talking about now are events, but what about all those little times where people have given me gifts, like, I have some unicorn cards here and my dear friend Maya gave me these because she saw them on a site that um, that that was selling them and she thought of me and she said, shall I buy these for you? Like they were three pounds or something, 400 yen, four dollars. And she just thought of me when she saw them and I was like, oh yes, please. And so um, I pull one every day just because I think it's rather fun to do that and also because... Um, I just like to humble myself to um, the messages that a pack of cards might give you. So today's message for me was that I take with me is what you're asking for will happen soon in a happy way. And there is the clouds and the sea. So I did actually go down to the sea today. Uh, and the sun hitting the clouds. And what a what a beautiful image. So that actually did come this did happen to me today. The next one, I have goddess cards here. And I have another friend who used the goddess cards a lot. So I bought a deck because I really like these. And again, do I believe they have some magical power imbued in them? Uh, maybe. Because I think it's fun to play with this stuff. Why not? Let it be huge. And... um. And it's fun to learn about goddesses as well. And it's fun to learn about myths beyond, you know, the Bible myths were for me. And it's fun to know goddesses beyond Mother Mary the Virgin and Mary Magdalene, who we were taught was a hoe. And there's nothing wrong with that profession, by the way, calling call out to all the people who work in the sex industry and who are, you know, providing that service for people. And uh, so, yeah, um, and that person also, if I think about it, loved me very dearly and surprised me in many beautiful ways with gifts and nudges and um, believing in me. Um, uh, our relationship is different now, but when it was when it was beautiful and of its day, yeah, we gave each other a lot. So today I pulled a goddess card and it's abundant. Abundantia, Abundantia, Abundantia. I don't know how to say this. I've never said it out loud before. And it's prosperity. And it says, the universe is pouring its abundance out to you. Be open to receiving. And it's so nice that I'm talking about receiving today and how I received all those beautiful, generous gifts from 
very beautiful people and that's what it is and again you can see there all those beautiful lit up clouds in the background there's the horn of plenty and she's pouring out her prosperity bloody hope so <laughs> uh, i'm giving next year another i'm giving myself another gentle year next year okay then okay this one is a deck of cards by a woman called Danielle Laporte. Oh my God, I've just realized that these were also a gift from another person who I believed in and she believed in me and we did a lot of stuff together. And our relationship has now changed and we're not as close. We're not close anymore. But she gave me this deck of cards and uh, they're called Truth Bombs and they're by somebody called Danielle Laporte. I would follow her with caution right now because she seems to have some strange ideas and magical wellness ideas that I think are a little bit off kilter but um she was brilliant when she was talking about her business and her um how she she really really laid it out for young aspiring entrepreneurs like myself to start to lean into the internet and lean into um, how to build an online business in the area of kind of soulful coaching and stuff like that. She was absolutely brilliant. I listened to her absolutely with, with a greed almost when I was um, starting out or in the years that ran up to it, say from 2008 to when I left. And she was actually a speaker at that rich, happy and hot life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would I would proceed with caution there's an edge to her now that I find a little bit distressing so but this one says let go of the promises that you've outgrown let go of the promises that you've outgrown that's interesting and I was talking to that about with somebody about that recently so I wonder if okay live on air live on air <laughs> let go of the promises that you've outgrown um what is one that I think one of the promises is that I will somehow like everything has to be so extra now I want to be extra I don't mind that I've started thinking that my word for the year next year will be ordinary so that everything that I have now is ordinary and I just continue in a way that where all of this is ordinary where having secure attachment is ordinary where having a thriving business is ordinary so i'm not constantly feeling this 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 feeling of striving and pushing and no pain no gain and blah, blah, blah. and that being healthy is ordinary eating good food is ordinary loving on my husband is ordinary getting loved and receiving from him and everybody else is ordinary there's something in this that emerged for me which is ordinary that doesn't mean that I'm going to make myself any smaller. What it means is that where I exist and live on the bell curve is ordinary. ADHD is for me ordinary. It's not in society, but I'll just leave people to be, to do and be who they are. I'm going to just leave people out there to do them. You know, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Very triggering for people sometimes to be around somebody so uh, full in their emotional life and so full in their expression um but for me it's just ordinary and then i was thinking about just buying purchasing from the skincare brand the ordinary <laughs> it's just, 
oh my god marketing is so amazing isn't it that like instead of just kind of musing on that in my in my inner world I instantly went to purchasing some skincare uh, skincare that I've been told I need the ordinary <laughs> oh dear humanity so I think I'm going to leave that there but I just want to say I wrote this down, so I'm going to read it out. So how lucky I've been to come across such incredible people, such generous people, people who will take on such loving roles and who can care so deeply for people in a non-transactional and delightful way. It's real magic. I think it's real magic. I really believe it's real magic when that happens because it sprinkles something inside a person so healing and it wasn't designed to be that way. Um, it was designed to, to look after people, to look after somebody. It's like the, it's just so intentional and so incredible. Um, I'm sure that, you know, I've sent flowers to people who I knew weren't feeling good and, and stuff like that. I forget about it now, but it's just tending we have to we need to tend to each other we must tend to each other something in the last 10 20 years coaching took a really odd turn where it's like you've got to tend to yourself and yes you do have to tend to yourself but we have to tend to each other as well and I think that that was missing in in the boundaries conversations and in this kind of cutting people out conversations and believe me I have done that and believe me I have boundaries and believe me I encourage other people to have them too but this kind of unconditional generosity this unconditional taking care of your people and looking after people is really really juicy and um i hope that by listening to this you feel well tended to by me by laura my assistant who will be who will be putting this up onto the platform to let it go out by your people by the people who I described these big events don't need to happen they just happen every day and what, the way I'm gonna do it today is I'm gonna go downstairs and I'm gonna make a cottage pie I think for my husband and I tonight to eat and I'm going to make it with careful attention and love and um, without any, with a motenashi and without any need for return. And I'm going to invite somebody to the podcast as well. Somebody who's been reinventing. Okay. So let me close out now. So this has been the season seven, episode seven of the Legends Reinvention podcast, all about reinvention, renaissance, and feeling phoenix from the flames. Feelings from the flames, <laughs> Freudian slip. Uh, today I talked about uh, how I muse on attachment styles and how we, how I have been healed by these incredible surprises that people have conjured up for me with such care and generosity. and. Um, been looked after in my darkest times by people and but also how I've been bolstered and um and had been been 
added to my joy and my resilience and the the beauty that people have brought to me and the generosity that people have brought to me through many different channels and recording this I can remind myself how loved and how much generosity exists around me I look at the art around me I look at the the gifts around me I look at the books around me uh, I recently received a beautiful book from one of my you know lovely clients and friends Sarah um, she's incredibly generous and very thoughtful always giving books and beautiful things to people she gave each of our friends around the dinner table the other day one of these badges a dose of confidence mine says and we all chose our own potion real magic I call this real magic and then we also all around that table um one of my friends Gretchen had given me a lovely little uh, uh some some stationery from her her prefecture Akita with Namahage which are these like devils on it these mythical creatures on it and around the table the dinner table with some close friends the other week I said like write a couple of words one or two words to describe that person with the feeling of appreciation and generosity and we all looked at them and we all held them to our chests when we got them back and they, we were just all beaming at each other so Sarah had brought these beautiful little gifts of these little potions potion pins that have uh quotes on them like it was like a dose of confidence and swearing is great and things like that like just fun little magical just fun little things on them and then each person got that and then a little uh, a little uh, couple of words or a phrase to describe them. And everybody looked so happy when they left. It was such a nourishing night. And uh, we had people here at the weekend. My friend Kirsten always loves us all with food and gathering people together, even though she has a wild, wild, full life, full of people, kids, grandparents, you know, a business that she and her husband run together like it's just it's it's pretty amazing what we do and how we how we tend to each other and how it's different for each person so I'm leaving this recording today feeling incredible love for me for my people for the people who have looked after me I've gone on and on as usual, but I hope that you take something from it, whether it be the consensus reality of the psychotherapy or got some ideas of how to have throw an event for somebody who could do with a bit of cheering up or not, <laughs> or not. Uh, oh, another one I did was I had an awards ceremony at my um, party, my 10 year anniversary party, and it was just before the British Business Awards. But there are some people who are never going to be nominated and get and win those. I'm never going to win a British Business Award because I'm not very good at writing my own nomination. So they always come through a bit dense and a bit average. But I still put myself in there because I'm like that. I'm like, I'm a have a go Joe. And if somebody invites every time I've nominated myself, you have to, I had to write my own nomination. Uh, but uh, my own application, I should say, but the nomination always came from outside. Um, you know, companies and other people, they have people to write their nominations, their applications for them, right? Professional people. 
so that every single word has weight. Um, big companies will have professional people in-house to write them. Um, if you happen to have a friend who's very good at that kind of thing, they will write it for you. I've always written my own. <laughs> so that was a bit amateur hour. But I wanted to give prizes to people, awards to people who wouldn't ordinarily be nominated. And I did that and it felt so good. Uh, I wanted my 10 year anniversary party to be all about the people who've contributed, those legends who allowed, who very generously gave their time to be recorded and create this free content for people. And, uh, and also, so Kirsten was one of those people. Sarah was one of those people, the person who I just mentioned gives books to people because they're so generous, but these are the things that go unnoticed sometimes and have such an enormous impact on people. So I hope you receive a dose of generosity this week. I'm so happy that I've finally been able to, to record this. Thank you very much to Laura Marushima for her work on the podcast, getting it out there, and also for naming Creative Musings. And to all of you for listening to my lovely clients and all the other people who are out there. Just thank you. Thank you for listening. If you got this far, you deserve a goddamn medal. Here, have a medal. Thank you so much for listening to these creative musings and stories of reinvention. And if it's Guests Week, big love and gratitude to our guests. Go follow them everywhere. Shout out to Laura Marushima for her podcast management and support. I would love if you would follow and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and share with a friend you think would love or benefit from it. You can also find me at Sarah Brewer Creative on Facebook and Instagram and get on my occasional, very occasional newsletter list at sarahbrewer.com. I just love that you're here and I'll catch you the next time on the Legends Podcast. Rise like a phoenix, baby. And don't forget to take other people with you. Bye.